Psalm 135. Let's read it first. Praise the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Praise him, O you servants of the Lord, you who stand in the house of the Lord, in the courts of the house of our God. Praise the Lord, for the Lord is good. Sing praises to his name, for it is pleasant. For the Lord has chosen Jacob for himself, Israel for his special treasure. For I know that the Lord is great, and our Lord is above all gods. Whatever the Lord pleases, he does in heaven and in earth, in the seas and in all deep places. He causes the vapors to ascend from the ends of the earth. He makes lightning for the rain. He brings the wind out of his treasuries. He destroyed the firstborn of Egypt, both of man and beast. He sent signs and wonders into the midst of you, O Egypt, upon Pharaoh and all his servants. He defeated many nations and slew mighty kings, Sihon, king of the Amorites, Og, king of Bashan, and all the kingdoms of Canaan, and gave their land as a heritage, a heritage to Israel, his people. Your name, O Lord, endures forever. Your fame, O Lord, throughout all generations. For the Lord will judge his people, and he will have compassion on his servants. The idols of the nation, nations are silver and gold, the work of men's hands. They have mouths, but they do not speak. Eyes they have, but they do not see. They have ears, but they do not hear. Nor is there any breath in their mouths. Those who make them are like them. So is everyone who trusts in them. Bless the Lord, O house of Israel. Bless the Lord, O house of Aaron. Bless the Lord, O house of Levi. You who fear the Lord, bless the Lord. Blessed be the Lord out of Zion, who dwells in Jerusalem. Dear brothers and sisters, this is a a wonderful psalm of praise that begins and ends with that great word, that great command, praise the Lord, just like the last five psalms of the Psalter. Hallelujah. And again at the end of the psalm, hallelujah. It's a psalm that praises the Lord for many of his great works. There are uh, given to us in this psalm many, many great reasons for that praise. We're going to divide the psalm into uh, four parts, basically. We're going to consider, first of all, verses 1 to 7. And in there, we're going to see the call to praise as well as the, uh, a, a number of reasons for praise that are briefly given. Then we're going to uh, look at verses 8 to 12 separately. This is another reason for praise, but it's a, it's a single reason that covers a, um, a number of verses, actually verses 8 to 14, uh, all about how he uh, saved his people from Egypt. Then we're going to uh, take verses 15 to 18 together, which show us the superiority of our God to the idols of the nations. And finally, verses 19 to 21, where we are called to bless the Lord. The first two verses of the psalm answer for us three questions. First of all, who should be praised? Praise the Lord, that is hallelujah. And again, in the next line, praise the name of the Lord, praise the name of Yah. 
He is the one who is to be praised. And that in itself, that name in itself, is one of the reasons for praising him, of course. That name teaches us that he is a great God, that he is the one who is eternal, that he is unchanging, that he is the God who is absolutely self-sufficient. He has no need of any of the creatures which he has made. But it's also a name that teaches us the faithfulness of God to his covenant. It's the name that he revealed to his people in Exodus 3 when he was fulfilling his promise to Abraham that he would bring his people into the land in which Abraham was a sojourner. So that name in itself is one of the reasons for us to praise him. The second thing that is answered here in these two verses is what should be praised. Notice that the um, first line of the psalm after that initial command is praise the name of the Lord. Now that phrase, name of the Lord, often stands for the Lord himself, and we could, um, and it would certainly not be inaccurate, say this means simply praise the Lord. But when the scriptures speak of his name, they speak of the Lord as he has revealed himself. As he has revealed himself in his word, and as he has revealed himself in his works. You remember that when the Lord commanded the people of Israel to build the tabernacle, that he said that he would put his name there in that place. That was the revelation of himself among his people. And they were to praise him then as he had made himself known in that place. You remember also that in the blessing which the Lord gave the priest to pronounce on Israel, he commanded them to put his name on Israel. That's in Numbers chapter 26, the last verse of that chapter. Put my name on them, he said. So they were to praise his name as that name had been placed upon themselves, had been placed upon themselves as the people of the Lord. And the third question that is answered by this first two verses is, who should praise? Praise him, O you servants of the Lord, you who stand in the house of the Lord in the courts of the house of our God. We saw when we were looking at Psalm 134 that this um, term servants and that word stand relate especially to the priests and the Levites who served or who stood, as the law puts it, who stood in the house of God. And it is especially these servants then whom the Lord calls to praise him here in this uh, psalm. Those who stand and who serve in the house of the Lord. And this also is a reason for praise, isn't it? That those who are unworthy to stand in the house of God, those who are in themselves unholy, have nevertheless been given the privilege by God of coming into his house, serving him, standing there in that house, and blessing and praising his name while they are there. We are, of course, that new priesthood that serves in the house of God. Praise him then you servants of the Lord. Now the rest of these um, verses in the first section of the psalm, what we're uh, 
considering as verses 1 to 7, uh, give to us various reasons for praise. So we find the first reason for praise in the first line of verse 3. Praise the Lord, for the Lord is good. We looked at that word good in Psalm 133, but that's in a very different context. Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brothers to dwell together in unity. And we saw there that that word good means basically three things. It means that it's upright, that it's morally good, that it's according to the commandments of God, that his uh, people should dwell together in unity. We saw that it's good in the sense of being beneficial or advantageous. It's beneficial to his people to dwell together in unity. And we saw that that word good includes also the idea of being pleasant. It's pleasant for the brethren to dwell together in unity. But here we have a very different context, and the word takes on different connotations in that different context. Praise the Lord, for the Lord is good, it's said here. And I think the particular emphasis is not here on the moral goodness of the Lord, his perfect uprightness, his freedom from all the defilement of sin, but is rather on the fact that he is the overflowing fountain of all good, as the first article of our Belgic Confession puts it, or that he is the giver of every good and perfect gift, the father of lights with whom is no variation or shadow of turning, as we find in James chapter 1. He is the one who opens his hands wide and pours out good, good things on his creatures and on all of his creation, ourselves included. Praise the Lord then, for he is good, for he is the beneficent one who gives many good things to his creatures. A second reason is also found there in verse 3. Sing praises to his name, for it is pleasant. Here's another reason to praise him, that it is delightful. That's, again, the same word that we find in Psalm 133, verse 1. Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. And here it is pleasant to sing praises to his name. That's a delightful thing, or should be a delightful thing to us. It should be, in fact, the favorite thing that each one of us has to do here in the world. There is nothing more pleasant to a godly man or a godly woman than to be able to praise the name of the Lord. Praise Him, therefore, because it is pleasant to do so. Verse 4 gives us yet a third reason to praise Him. For the Lord has chosen Jacob for himself, Israel, for his special treasure. Here we have reference to the doctrine of election, of course, and an allusion also to Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses 6 and following. The language of the psalm is very clearly derived directly from that passage. You are a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for himself, a special treasure above all the peoples on the face of the earth. The Lord did not set his love on you nor choose you because you were more in number than any other people, for you were the least of all peoples, but because the Lord loves you. That's why the Lord 
has chosen you because he loves you, not because of anything that you are in yourself, not because of any worthiness that exists in you, not because you are greater nation than the nations around you, not because you set yourself apart in any particular way with regard to him, but simply because he, in his sovereign good pleasure, loves you. He has chosen you to be his own people. And he has made you his special treasure. That's a word that David uses in 1 Chronicles 29 when he talks about the special treasure that he had taken out of his own possessions and given to the house of God. The valuable things that he had taken from his own treasures to give to the house of God. You are valuable to him. And this is really a very amazing thing, people of God. When you think that the Lord says, for example, in Isaiah 40, that all the nations of the earth are like a drop of the bucket to him. And his people then are just a small part of that drop of the bucket. It is as if a man takes a drop of water and puts it away in a test tube and seals the test tube and he says, this is my special treasure. This I will value above all other things in the whole of my possessions. The Lord owns the whole universe. He owns all nations. He owns all the silver and gold of this world. He owns all the creatures, and yet he has chosen a small and insignificant people, a people displeasing in themselves to him because of their sins. And he has said, this, this is my special treasure. This small, insignificant drop of water is my special treasure. Praise him then, because he has chosen Jacob for himself, Israel, for his special treasure. This, we note for the moment, relates also to verses 8 to 12, and we'll be coming back to this whole idea then, and when we get to verses 8 to 12. But that's now three reasons that we've been given for praising the Lord. That he is good, that it is pleasant, that he has chosen Jacob. We have yet another reason in verse uh, 5. For I know that the Lord is great, and our Lord is above all gods. This relates directly to verses 15 to 18, of course, and we'll be coming back to it. But we need to say a couple words about it anyway while we're looking here at verse 5. The Lord is great. He is infinitely great. He is exalted above all the heavens and all the earth. The heaven and the heaven of heavens cannot contain him. And he is above all gods. The nations ascribe many things to their gods. They ascribed many things to their gods of silver and gold and wood and stone in the old days. And they ascribe many things to their gods now, whatever those gods may be more abstract gods, but still idols. They make their gods great in their own imaginations, ascribing to them many powers, ascribing to them many uh, wonderful characteristics, ascribing to them the ability to give them peace and security and happiness and all sorts of things. And yet the Lord is greater than all the imaginations of these men. They fashioned their gods according to their own imaginations and by their own hands 
and always their gods are made after their own likeness and the likeness of other creatures. They can never reach to the glory of the God who is exalted above the heavens. He is above all gods and above all the conceptions of men. His greatness is unimaginable and incomprehensible. Praise him, then, because he is great and above all gods. Yet another reason is found in the next verse. Whatever the Lord pleases, he does in heaven and in earth, in the seas and in all deep places. The Lord does his will, his good pleasure, as the scriptures call it sometimes. He does what he wants to do, and there is no one who can prevent him. There is no internal constraint on his power that prevents him from doing what he wants to do. We have many internal, inherent constraints on our power to do the things that we want to do. There is no external constraint on his power that prevents him from doing what he wants to do. Other people can prevent us from doing what we want to do, but no one can prevent God from doing his pleasure. Whatever the Lord pleases, he does. He does it in heaven, in the place where the angels dwell. There, his sovereign good pleasure rules. He does it in the heavens of the stars. He guides the sun in its course and the moon. He makes the stars come and go. Uh, Some explode and come to nothing. Some uh, are absorbed into black holes, if we may believe the science of the day. Some uh, are created new. Some new stars come into existence. We see all these things happening in the great heavens. And it is our Lord who is doing those things. He does what he wills on earth. So he makes the oceans and sets a bound to them. He feeds the animals. He shuts the mouths of lions. He commands a great fish to swallow Jonah. He does whatever he pleases in the earth. He does what he pleases in the seas. He cares for the fish and the whales there in the seas. He makes paths through the seas for the ships and lets them pass safely through the seas, or not, according to his will. He is the one who raises the great hurricanes on the oceans of the world. And he does his good pleasure also in the deeps. I suspect that not only means in the deepest places of the seas, but also in the deep places of the earth, what is elsewhere called under the earth, in the very heart of the earth where the fires burn, and the lava boils. There also our Lord does as he pleases. Praise him then, because he does whatever he pleases in heaven and in earth, in the seas, and all the places. Part of what he does in heaven, in the earth, rather, is described then in verse 7. He causes the vapors to ascend from the ends of the earth, He makes lightning for the rain. He brings the wind out of his treasuries. I think what we have here is his mastery of all the storms that we see. The vapors rising from the ends of the earth are the clouds as we see them rising up on the horizon. 
And we know then when we see those clouds arising that it is the Lord who is causing those vapors to ascend. He makes the lightning that accompanies those clouds. He brings the wind that goes along with those great storms. He is the one who governs then all our weather. Those mighty forces of wind that happen in hurricanes and in tornadoes and in typhoons and all those things. The gentle breezes that blow in the springtime. All of these things are under his control. Sometimes he withholds the rain and brings great drought. Sometimes he gives just the amount of rain that is needed for the crops to grow abundantly. And sometimes he gives far too much rain according to his own good pleasure. He does also in this matter whatever he pleases. Praise him then because he causes the vapors to ascend from the ends of the earth, makes lightning for the rain, and brings the wind out of his treasuries. All these things belong to him. Now we come in verses 8 to 12 to an additional reason, but you notice that this reason is greatly expanded on. The reasons that we've looked at so far are given to us in very brief form. But here, as he goes back, as the psalmist goes back for a moment to verse 4, the Lord has chosen Jacob for himself. He shows us the implications of that electing grace of God for his people. And what that electing grace of God means for his people here in verses 8 to 12 is that he fulfills for them the promise he made to Abraham. Three things are recounted in that fulfilling of the promise. It's a very compressed view of Israel's history from the time of her bondage in Egypt until the time of the conquest of Canaan. First of all, he delivered them from the land of Egypt. And he did this ultimately in the greatest of his wonders by destroying the firstborn of Egypt, both of man and of beast. That was a very great wonder that the Lord did when he sent his angel into the land into every house in the land except those protected by the blood of the Lamb to destroy the firstborn. But he did many other signs and wonders there in Egypt as well. He did signs and wonders in the midst of you, the psalm says, O Egypt, upon Pharaoh and all his servants. And this recalls all those other signs and wonders performed by the hand of Moses, including the passage through the Red Sea. That's the first part, then, of what the Lord has done for his people. The second part is that he defeated for them many nations and slew mighty kings. And again, we're given detail here about what this implied. He slew, first of all, Sihon, king of the Amorites, and Og, the king of Bashan, those two kingdoms that were east of the Jordan River and that were conquered by the nation of Israel while Moses was still leading them. But then he refers also to the many kings and nations that Joshua conquered after they had crossed over the Jordan to the west side. So that's the second thing that the Lord did for his people. He gave them victories over the nations who inhabited the land of Canaan. And the third thing is that then he gave the land of these nations to his people as an inheritance. He had promised that land to them when he spoke to Abraham in Genesis 15, 
And he fulfilled that promise and brought them into the land flowing with milk and honey, the land of rest. All this, of course, is a picture of his redemption, his bringing out of the bondage of sin and death and into the glorious land of heaven, that new and better country which all of us look for. Praise him, then, because he has brought you out of bondage, because he has conquered all your enemies, and because he has given you heaven and earth, all of them, and all that is in them, as your inheritance. Part of his blessing to his people and part of his electing grace to his people is also found in verses 13 to 14. Your name, O Lord, endures forever. Your fame, O Lord, throughout all generations. For the Lord will judge his people and he will have compassion on his servants. Here, the psalmist takes us back for a moment to verse 1. Praise the name of the Lord, and now your name, O Lord, endures forever. Again, of course, that name refers to his revelation of himself, and his fame is his remembrance. The point here is that as the Lord reveals his name, to especially to his people, that name comes into everlasting remembrance. It's never forgotten again. He does such mighty works that it cannot be forgotten. And in fact, he has created his people so that they may have him and his name in remembrance to all generations. In fact, to all generations, both now and in the world to come. His name endures forever. His remembrance throughout all generations. But notice that this is tied directly to verse 14 by that word for, and we have to talk about that. His name endures forever because the Lord will judge his people and he will have compassion on his servants. Now that's a very striking thing, and I I think, by the way, if you look at the um, English Standard Version here, In verse 14, you will see that it says, for the Lord will vindicate his people. But I think it's better to translate judge. The Lord will judge his people. What we have here is two sides of the Lord's dealing with his people. We see his judging of his people, for example, in the book of Judges, when because of the sins of his people, he brought against them mighty nations who oppressed them severely for many years sometimes. Or we see his judgments of his people declared and threatened in the prophets, terrible judgments that he threatened. It's those judgments that the psalm calls on us to give praise for. Those judgments of the Lord. And that would seem, I think, at first glance, to be a very strange thing. But yet, when you stop to think about it, then you realize that there is indeed reason for praise in these judgments of the Lord, these terrible judgments of the Lord. And the reason for praise is that always those judgments that the Lord gave to his people, brought on his people for their sins, fell short of complete destruction. When he judged the nations, he often brought a complete 
destruction on them, wiped them off the face of the earth. He raised up kings, he brought them down again, and he destroyed their empires. And those empires are uh, exist now days only in the memories of men, and sometimes not even in memory anymore. But always when he judged his people, he judged them in such a way as not utterly to destroy them. He judged them in order to purify them and to bring them back to himself. That's reason for praise. And the other half then of his dealing with his people is his compassion. He judged them, yes, but he also had compassion on them. Even compassion on them in the very judgments he had brought on them because of their sins. These are the two sides we see in the book of Judges, which we've already referred to. We see him judging his people with severe judgments. And yet we see him throughout that whole book remaining faithful to his covenant, always preserving his people, always restoring them to blessing and glory and grace, always having compassion on them, even when they were at their most sinful. We see it throughout the prophets, over and over again throughout the prophets. You see severe judgment of the Lord proclaimed and glorious promises following those severe judgments of the Lord. You have it in Isaiah chapter 1. Look at that chapter. The Lord talks to his people and he says to them, you are Sodom and Gomorrah. Don't come to me with your worship. It's an abomination to me. I don't want anything to do with your worship. And then he says, almost immediately after, come, let us reason together. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. He judges and he has compassion. Praise the Lord for his judgment and his compassion. And these things, his judgment and compassion, are the things that bring his name into the everlasting remembrance with his people. Your name, fame, O Lord, endures throughout all generations. For, for the Lord will judge his people, and he will have compassion on his servants. His people remember his mighty works of judgment and compassion for them. And they praise him for them forever and ever. Yet another reason for praise is found in verses 15 to 18, and here the psalm takes us back to verse 5. I know that the Lord is great, and our Lord is above all gods. How much greater than the gods is he? Well, the idols of the nations are silver and gold, the work of men's hands. But the Lord, he's great. He is Yahweh, the eternal, unchanging, and self-sufficient one. He is the living God who made the heavens and the earth. These idols of the nations are fashioned by the imaginations and the hands of men. Their mouths, yes, men fashion their mouths, but their mouths don't speak. They have eyes, men give them eyes but their eyes don't see. They have ears. Men carve ears into their heads, but those ears don't hear. There is no breath in their mouth. They are dead. 
They are nothing but lumps of wood or stone or gold or silver, whatever it may be. There is no life in them. Our God is greater than those gods, much greater. Notice, too, the last verse there, those who make them are like them. So is everyone who trusts in them. And there is here, of course, uh, a uh, proclamation by the people of God who are saying, we are not like them. The Lord has chosen us for himself. We are not like those gods because of the Lord's grace in choosing us and in making us his own people. But those who make those gods, they are like them. They have mouths, but they do not speak. They do not speak the word of God. They have eyes, but they do not see God or the things that belong to him. They have ears, but they do not hear the word of God, which is spoken to them through his word and his works. There is ultimately no breath in their mouth. They are dead like their idols. They are dead in trespasses and sins. And ultimately they will be dead forever. Praise him then, because he is infinitely superior to all the gods of the nations, unimaginably greater than they. The last three verses of the psalm then are again a call to praise, this time, however, using the word bless. In the first part of the psalm, we find over and over again that word praise. Praise the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Praise him, O you servants of the Lord. Praise the Lord, for the Lord is good. Here we find the word bless. Bless the Lord, O house of Israel, O house of Aaron, O house of Levi, and you who fear the Lord. Four groups of, we may say, worshippers that the psalm calls on to bless the Lord. The house of Israel, that people whom he has chosen to be his special treasure. Bless him, O house of Israel. The house of Aaron, that's the house of the priests who offered the sacrifices, brought the incense to the altar of incense, uh, performed the cleansing rites, uh, brought the uh, blood into the most holy place to sprinkle on the mercy seat, the priests who performed the primary functions of worship for the people of God. The house of Levi is next. They are the ones who served the priests in the house of God, who maintained the house, who were the gatekeepers and the singers in that house of God, and who maintained the fire in the lamps and the fire on the altar of burnt offering. And those who fear the Lord are, I think, all the people of God, but including now the Gentiles, who had joined themselves to the people of Israel and who worshipped the God of Israel along with the house of Israel. All of these are to bless the Lord. In the New Testament, all these different groups have been collapsed into one. For we are the royal priesthood, the holy nation, 
the people of God from every nation, tribe, and tongue under heaven who come into his presence and who hear the call of this psalm. Bless the Lord, O house of Israel. Praise the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Praise him, O you servants of the Lord. Praise him in Zion. That's the place where he has revealed himself. That's the place where he gathers you, his people, to worship him. Praise him and bless him there. Because that is where he dwells. Here is the fundamental reason, behind all the reasons, that the psalm gives for praising him. He dwells in Jerusalem. This great God who has done whatever he pleased in heaven and on earth dwells in Jerusalem among you, his people. Bless him, therefore. Praise him. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. May the Lord bless his word for us.